Well, hello, hello, everyone. Please remain standing. Just keep standing there. That'd be fantastic. Awesome. Well, hey, everyone. God is good. And all the time. Amen. It is true. Wow, it's great to be together today. I feel God has a word for every one of us, and I can't wait to, re wait to receive it. We've been working our way through the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is a great book. It actually is the account of what it looked like as heaven began to move into earth for the glory of the only one king and savior, Jesus Christ. So it's a fantastic book for us to look into. And I'd like for us to read an account out of Acts chapter 16 together. I'm asking ask us to read it out loud. Acts chapter 16, verses 22 to 26. But I have a question for you first. Are you hungry to hear the word of the Lord today? I believe you. I believe you. So let's read this like we're hungry, okay? You set to do that? We're going to read this like we're hungry. So we're going to start in at verse 22. So let's read it good and strong. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. And the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly... There was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. What a beautiful statement of what it means that Jesus came to save us. Can we read that, that last phrase one more time? The chains of every prisoner fell off. This is a statement of what it means that Jesus came to save us. Let's read it good and strong. The chains of every prisoner fell off. That's beautiful. The title of my sermon today is going to be, What Are You Waiting For? So why don't you turn to somebody next to you and say, What are you waiting for? And then you can have a seat. That's beautiful. Well, my name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here, and I get to serve you wonderful people. I love it. It's the joy of my heart to serve you as one of your pastors, and I mean that. It's so great to see what God's doing in the life of our church, the story he's telling. Uh, I love the fact that we are one church and we meet in multiple locations now, which is great. I want to welcome everybody who's joining us from online. So glad that you've come in here. From wherever you are, you're part of us here today. So uh, God's got a word for you, and I'm glad you've joined us. But I'm also thrilled that the Lord's helped us to expand across our city. And I've got an amazing project in my heart that I've been working on the last couple of years, and that is King's Church West St. John. Yeah. And uh, there is a growing number of people there who are really excited about what God's going to do to help West St. John discover the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Amen? And it's going to be fantastic. And it's so good to be part of this whole thing. I do want us to, uh, to spend some time in the Word today, which is going to be fantastic. Uh, but uh, if you have your Bible with you, take it out. But you may not have come to church with a Bible today. Uh, we want to be able to put one in your hands. And so I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward, and they're going to make their way up back up the aisle. And if you would like to have a copy of the Bible to follow along with the sermon today, and even for us 
to uh, let you take that home as our gift to you. Just raise up your hand. We'll get you one in, in, uh, in your hands. So just let us know. Love for you to have this so you can follow along today. So we're going to be we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 21. We're going to start at verse 27, and we're going to move in to chapter 22. So Acts, Acts chapter 21 and 22. Little context here. As I said, we've been in the book of Acts. You've been liking the series. I've been loving it. It's been really stirring up my heart. It's been stirring up my heart to have a heart of courage. I feel like God's been speaking to King's Church over the series to say, rise up and take courage. Uh, and there are, there are hard things coming ahead of us, but there are great things in the name of Jesus. Amen? And I feel like God's really been, been stirring up my heart for that. And I've especially been captured to take another look at the Apostle Paul and try to, make, uh, try to figure out what just made him tick and uh, how I can begin to pick up uh, from him as a mentor in my own life. But a little context of Acts chapter 21. We're breaking into the story about 20 years after Paul the Apostle had his encounter with Jesus. And his life was raised back up from the dead and everything changed for Paul. So a lot has happened in the past 20 years before this account we're going to read together. Now, you can, you can go back and study through the, the first 20 or so chapters of, of Acts yourself, which I really encourage you to do that. But to help you with that, uh, go to the King's Church uh, YouTube channel and all of the sermon series all through the book of Acts, uh, they're all grouped there on the channel so you can, you can see that really easily. And I know you'll be blessed and brought up to speed. But for now, we're in Acts chapter 1. So I believe we can all see a little bit of something from ourselves in Paul's story. So as I work through the story, try to see yourself. Try to get uh, inside of, of Saul's heart and mind a little bit as he experiences this. So here we go. Verse 27. The seven days were almost ended when some of the Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple and aroused a mob against him. Now, it, because he was in the temple, what city was he in? Jerusalem. Very good. And so they, this crowd saw Paul in the temple, and they roused a mob against him. They grabbed him, yelling, Men of Israel, help us! This is the man who preaches against our people everywhere and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. Don't you love what they have to say? Aren't they awesome? You know? Anybody ever been burned by they? What they had to say. Put up your hands if, yeah, I've experienced that. All right. Now, uh, how many of you have ever spread a little bit of what they had to say? <laughs> not, not so many hands went up on that. That's all right. It's all good. That's all good. We, we, we know, though, if you want wisdom, you don't ask the crowd, right? Word to the wise. So they had falsely accused Paul, really gone way over the top. So uh, he speaks against the temple, picking up in the story, and he even defiles this holy place by bringing in Gentiles. For earlier that day, they had seen him in the city with Trophimus, a Gentile from Ephesus, and they assumed Paul had taken him into the temple. The whole city was rocked by these accusations, and a great riot followed. Paul was grabbed and dragged out of the temple, and immediately the gates were closed behind him. As they were trying to kill him, word reached the commander of the Roman regiment that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately called out his soldiers and officers, and they ran down into the courtyard of the temple, down among the crowd. 
When the mob saw the commander and the troops coming, they stopped beating Paul, which of course also means they had started beating Paul. So here's Paul, probably a little bruised, perhaps a little face swollen, perhaps a black eye, a bruised rib, but they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander arrested him and ordered him bound with two chains. Can you say two chains? So they bound him with two chains. He asked the crowd who he was and what he had done. Some shouted one thing, some another. Since he couldn't find out the truth in all of the uproar and confusion, he ordered that Paul be taken to the fortress or the barracks. This was a uh, barracks that the, that the Romans had built there on the edge of, of the, across from the temple, across the courtyard. So it was right adjacent to it. So they ordered uh, that he be taken to the, to the barracks. As Paul reached the stairs, the mob grew so violent, the soldiers had to lift him to their shoulders to protect him. And the crowd followed behind shouting, kill him, kill him. As Paul was about to be taken inside to safety, he said to the commander, may I have a word with you? <laughs> the poise and the composure of this man, doesn't it, does it intrigue you? Here he is, bloody, beaten, being carried to safety by these Roman soldiers over to the barracks, gets up on the stairs and he's like, wait a second, may I have a word with you? Well, do you know Greek? The commander asked, surprised. Aren't you the Egyptian who led a rebellion some time ago and took 4,000 members of the assassins out into the desert? Can you just picture Paul? Like, wait, what? What? <laughs> so Paul answers them. That is a strange question. No, Paul replied, I am a Jew and a citizen of Tarsus in Cilicia, which is an important city. Please, let me talk to these people. So the commander agreed. So Paul stood on the stairs in chains, remember, and he motioned to the people to be quiet. Now, I wish I could have seen that. I'm not quite sure how that works. Bound in chains. How does a man bound in chains motion for the crowd to be quiet? But somehow he, he silenced them. Soon a deep silence enveloped the crowd, and he addressed them in their own language. Brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul said. Now remember, it was only 20 years or so since he left Jerusalem that he's now back with them here. So some of them would have known Paul well, maybe even some relatives. Listen to me as I offer my defense. When they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. And Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you. And can't you just hear the chains rattling as he called it out? He was saying, I get it. I get it. You feel that what you've done to me here today is actually something you're doing for God. I get it. I understand, I was just like you 20 years ago. And I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some of them to death, arresting both men and women and throwing them in prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify that it is so. For I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, 
authorizing me to bring the followers of the way from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. As I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, who are you, Lord? I asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light but didn't understand the voice speaking to me. I asked, well, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus and there you will be be told everything you are to do. Well, I was blinded by the intense light and I had to be led by the hand to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man. Deeply devoted to the law and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus, he came and stood beside me and he said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And at that very moment, I could see him. Then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. You have been chosen by God. Can you turn to the person next to you and say, you have been chosen by God? Go ahead, tell them. So Ananias went on after telling him this, and he says, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. Well, after I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple right over there, Remember his chains? Can't you hear them rattling as he points to the temple? I went to the temple right over there, and I fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, hurry, leave Jerusalem, for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. But Lord, I argued, they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you, i.e. was very jealous or zealous for God, And I I was in complete agreement when your witness Stephen was killed. I stood by and kept the coats they took off when they stoned him. But the Lord said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. What are you waiting for? Get up. I guess to think about that together today. I wonder in your life and in my life if that isn't a good question for us. What are you waiting for? Get up. In verse 16, Ananias says to Paul, he says, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. And we know the name of the Lord, don't we? What is his name? Jesus. He is the king and he is the Lord. But in those two words, get up, there is a lot of meaning for Paul. It reminds me of a story in the Gospels of the paralyzed man, physically paralyzed man, lying by a pool, the pool of Bethesda, they called it. And he was lying by the pool of Bethesda for this reason. Legend had it that every once in a while, an angel would come and stir the waters in the pool. And if you wanted to receive a healing, you just needed to make sure that you were right next to the edge of that pool because legend had it that the first one into the pool would receive the healing. But those of you who know the story know that one day Jesus came along and he said, you don't need the pool 
The pool has come to you today. (laughs) The one who could truly heal had come to him, and he wanted to have a conversation. Do you remember the conversation? He walked up to this paralyzed man lying next to the pool. He'd been lying there his whole life. He said he'd been paralyzed since birth. So his life was basically lying by this pool, waiting for healing. Someone would bring him there. They'd take care of him. This was his life. And he was lying there by the pool. Jesus came up to him, asked him an interesting question. He said, do you want to get well? Guess what he said? Of course. (laughs) What a strange question. But Jesus' next words to him were, stand up. Wow, if he stood up, he'd be healed. And he did stand up, and he was healed that day. But you know, when he stood up, his life began to change, didn't it? The healing was wonderful, but now his life was going to change. He couldn't come back and lie by that pool the next day and pretend he was paralyzed, could he? He couldn't call up his buddy and say, hey, are you going to carry me down to the pool today? What? I don't need to carry you down to the pool. You want to go to the pool, you walk yourself. He was going to need to begin to take care of himself. He hadn't had to do that before. He's going to need to maybe even get a job and become a contributing member of his community because now his life was going to change just because Jesus said, stand up. So standing up was more than just as simple as standing up. There's something more to it. Well, here's Paul. And when I imagine Ananias speaking over Paul and giving him this this word from the Lord of how God wanted to use him, and he said, get up, Paul, and be baptized Well, here was Paul. He was paralyzed in a different way than that man by the pool. He was paralyzed in a way that many of us are paralyzed. He was paralyzed in his soul. He's paralyzed in soul. And Ananias was saying, stand up, get up. When Ananias was saying, get up to Paul, he was saying, decide to live. He was saying, set your heart free. He was saying, actually do something helpful for yourself for once. (laughs) He was saying, Paul, take your stand. He was saying, Paul, finally get out of your own way. Sound familiar to anybody else in the room? He's saying, Paul, get up. He's saying, Paul, I know you have been zealous for God, but it's time to get up and end your search. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. Well, what did Paul do? Well, the record shows in Acts chapter 9, verse 18, where if you're new to the Bible, in Acts chapter 9, that's when this whole experience happened to Paul in the first place. He's telling the story in Acts chapter 21, but it happened back here in Acts 9. And so Acts 9, verse 18 says this. It says, instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. So we know Paul got up. What are you waiting for? Get up. Well, what happened when Paul got up? Well, when Paul got up, he broke free. When Paul got up, he broke free. In verse 33 of our story, we read this, that then the commander arrested him and ordered him bound with what? With two chains. But what the commander and that crowd that day didn't realize was that this man who was once paralyzed in soul had gotten up and was baptized and now you can't keep the chains on him. 
When his sins were washed away by calling on the name of the Lord, every chain was broken. He was freed from the chains of the crowd's opinion. He was freed of the chains of false humility. He was freed from the chains of others' expectations, of comparisons. He was freed from the chains of doing it right. He was freed from the chains of inferiority. He was freed from the chains of superiority. He didn't have anything to prove anymore. Is this sounding good so far? When he got up, he was freed from the chains of trying to beat sin in his own strength. Anybody glad for that today? Every chain was broken. What it means that Jesus came to save us means that every prisoner's chains were broken. So it didn't matter what physical change they tried to put on Paul because he was free. That is the gospel. The good news is when Jesus Christ comes into your life and you surrender to him, it's not about you becoming this perfect person. It means you're free. It means they can't put the chains on you anymore because every chain's been broken for you. So how about you? What happens at King's Church? What happens in this place, in any of our campuses? What happens? Well, people get up. Many of you in this room have gotten up at some point in your life. You know what this feels like. People get up. They break free by calling out to Jesus. As as Pastor Brent has preached so many times with passion, the gospel is not about making bad people good. It's about bringing dead people back to life in Jesus' name. One of our values in our code of kings is that we love the world. We love the world. We say God's extravagant love for the world compels us to embrace the world, not escape it. But how many of you know, if you're going to embrace the world for the sake of Jesus, you're going to get hurt along the way. You're going to have some people try to put chains on you. You're going to have trouble come and try to make you sit back down. But when you get up and you begin to call out to Jesus, he sets you free. And no one can put a chain on you because every chain has been broken. So what are you waiting for? Get up. What else happened when Paul got up? Well, when Paul got up, they couldn't shut him up. They couldn't shut Paul up once he got up. It's beautiful. In Acts chapter 20, verse 22, we read this a few weeks ago. Paul says, I, and now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless... I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of, can you say it with me? Telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Paul, once he got up, saw that his life meant nothing to him unless he could use it to tell other people about this wonderful grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. What would it take to shut Paul up? I have no idea because we never did shut him up. And we still can't. We don't know what would have stopped Paul. In fact, 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he writes this, In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We've been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us, and by our sincere love. We faithfully say these words with me, preach the truth. There it is again. God's power is working in us. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. Do you see the chains? Whether they put the chains on us or they don't. We are ignored even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We've been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our heart aches, but we will always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. And I love this last sentence. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. And those of you who know Jesus, isn't that true? You can say, what do I actually have in this world that this world's given me? but I have everything. Well, when Paul got up, they couldn't shut him up. Back in Acts chapter 22, we read this commissioning from Ananias. He said, then he, Ananias, told me, notice three things Ananias said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear him speak. If any of you are preachers out there, there's a great outline for you right there. For you are to be his, can you see this out loud, his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. So this man, Paul, paralyzed in soul, needed to hear something. He needed to hear something. And here's what he needed to hear. God has chosen you. This man paralyzed in soul. Listen, you might be paralyzed in soul today and you need to hear, God has chosen you. Amen. You can't make God choose you. You can't make him choose you. But this is what we do. (laughs) We're human beings and we take over and we try to become our own savior And we try to make God choose us. We work so hard at it. We try to be a good man. We try to be a good woman. We try to behave. We try to do this and that. And we try to make God choose us. But the good news is, you can't make God choose you. He's already chosen you. Turn to somebody and say, he's already chosen you. So chill out. (laughs) Go ahead, tell him. He's already chosen you. So there was this great commission upon Paul's life to be a witness. But he had to do something first. He had to let go of his own plans. Remember he said that before Jesus blinded him on the road, he was very zealous for the Lord. You know, it's not always the obvious immoral thing that you struggle with. It's not always the, what you would call a sinful habit that gets in your way. Sometimes what gets in the way from you hearing that God has chosen you and given you a mission and appointed you, sometimes the thing that gets in the way is your effort to do that good thing. 
that good thing that you're working so hard at actually gets in the way of what God actually wants to do through your life. It's a little bit complex, I get it. But when you're in the middle of being exhausted by it, you get exactly what I'm talking about. I'm trying so hard, God, why don't you do something with my life? It might not even be that you're having a conversation with God. You might say, I work so hard at being an amazing person, and yet things keep falling apart on me. And you can't hear God saying yet, but I've already chosen you. Hey, don't be, don't be fooled. In the age we live in, there is a deceitful lie from, really, I believe, from the dominion of darkness that we have got to wake up to. And that is this. You aren't a legitimate person unless you have an amazing life. You shouldn't value yourself unless you have an amazing life. You shouldn't lay your head down and rest until you're amazing. But that's not the gospel. The gospel says God's already chosen you. God's already sent you on a mission. God's already appointed you to be his child. You don't need a better appointment. And it's very subtle in our world. But church, we need to rise up and we need to set some people free. Say, we don't care if you're amazing. We don't care if you have an amazing life. You don't need to show us your amazing life. We already know something about you. God has already chosen you. It's beautiful. So what good thing are you trusting in that you need to let go of so God can make you his witness? Because in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, a commissioning of all of us, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, maybe I'll take a quick survey here. How many of you in the crowd have been in Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria recently? A few. That's awesome. Not many of us, so a few of us. The point isn't Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. It's from wherever you are to the ends of the earth. Starting with your home. <laughs> From where you live to the ends of the earth, I will make you my witness when I fill you with the Holy Spirit. But you got to get up first. What are you waiting for? Get up. So what else happened when Paul got up? Well, when Paul got up, he never went back. When Paul got up, he never went back. Many years later from this account we were reading about today, Paul wrote to his, his apprentice, Timothy. This was near the end of Paul's life, one of the last things he would have written. But in a letter to this young Timothy, he writes to him in 1 Timothy chapter 1, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And can you read these last words with me? And I am the worst of them all. Wow. This is the Apostle Paul. This is after 40-some years of ministry in the name of the Lord Jesus, with all that he suffered and all that he was blessed to do and all that he accomplished, he hadn't forgotten who he was. See, his glory was not in his perfection or his behavior, or his accomplishments. Where was his glory? 
His glory was in his Savior, Jesus Christ. And you know, that is still our hope today. It doesn't matter how advanced we might become as a, as a society. It doesn't matter how skilled we might get at what we do. It doesn't matter uh, how great we are at communicating or our technology or our resources. Listen, the only hope for this world is one Savior, Jesus Christ. And he's still the Savior. Everybody knows they need a Savior. That's not our problem. It's who we're trusting as a Savior is the problem. Well, Paul woke up to something that day that enabled him to be able to stand in that courtyard and lift up his chains and speak to his brothers and fathers and say, I know you're still looking for a Savior. And I know you're still zealous for God, but I'm telling you, you've got to get up and you've got to be baptized and have your sins washed away by crying out to Jesus. That's your only hope. And it's still the only hope. Amen? Amen. Well, Paul never went back, but he never went back to what? I'm not talking about simple habits he might have struggled with or something like that. What I'm talking about today is when Paul never went back, I'm saying he never went back to trying to save himself. Because Paul understood something in his paralyzed heart in that moment when he stood up and came to Jesus. He realized this. Jesus was saying to Paul, Paul, your search is over. Stop trying to save yourself. Good news, I'm telling you who you are. I'm sending you on a mission. And Paul, I've appointed you. I've appointed you to bear my name. And we know, according to scripture, that if anybody trusts in Jesus, that person is appointed to be a son or a daughter of God. So when you stop trying to save yourself and you wake up to the fact that God has sent you on a mission as his child, Listen, it all starts to come together. Amen. Those of you who have come to Jesus and you've realized he's chosen you and he's appointed you to bear his name as his child, that's the moment when your life starts to come together. Amen. And your moment to get up is something that God arranges. You know, you can't set up that appointment where you say, God, I'd like to come and talk to you about this getting up thing. Listen, the way it works is God sets you up. One of the things I love about Paul's story when he talks about going out to persecute and to, and to, to stamp out the, the children, the, the men and women who were following Jesus, they called it the way. When he went out to try to stamp out the way and he was hunting them down, I love the fact that along that road as he was trying to hunt them down, he had this encounter with Jesus and he asked him who he was and he said, I'm the one you're hunting down. Don't you just love the fact that love, that our Savior himself doesn't mind being hunted down because he knows the hunter needs it the most? Don't you love that? Just when you think that you're out to disprove that God actually loves you and cares about you, you're gonna run straight into him. And I'm wondering if there's anybody like that here today. That God has set you up with an appointment. This is your day to get up. My moment came when I was 18 years old. I like to say 18-year-old young man. Well, when I was 18, I thought I was a young man. Now looking back, I, <laughs> yeah, not so much. But I was pretty convinced I was a young man at that point, at 18. 
And I had grown up with so much going for me when it comes to faith. I grew up in a church and, and a home that honored Jesus and preached the gospel, lived the gospel. I had so much going for me, but somehow I had really, I really screwed my own thinking up enough that I had myself all tied up and I was living this life that many of you are familiar with where I wanted to impress my religious folks because I loved them. And whenever I was with them, I wanted to impress them with my behavior and I wanted to make sure that I was doing the right things and I was a good boy. But when I was with people outside of my church, I wanted their company. I wanted to feel their warmth. And so I wanted to impress them with my immorality and my disdain for church. You've been there, haven't you? You know what I'm talking about. So here I was, 18 years old, and I was so angry and frustrated and bitter. I remember just even, you know, shaking my, my fist and saying, if this is what following Jesus is like, I want to go to hell. I don't want this. And in my anger and my frustration, there I was. And one day the Lord captured my heart. And here was my get up prayer. I didn't call it my get up prayer till this weekend. I just named it. But now it's officially my get up prayer. And here, here you, can, you can borrow this if you want, or you can come up with your own get up prayer. I'm sure you could come up with a better one for yourself. But here, here was mine. My prayer as an 18 year old was this, Jesus, I hate my life right now. But I love you. And I love the fact that you came to find me. You came to find me. And you came to save me. And I said this, just, just as clear as anything, I remember saying this. I don't know if this makes you happy or sad, but you are stuck with me. I am, I am not letting go of you. And that was my get up prayer. That was over 35 years ago. That was over 35 years ago and I'm here to say, he's never told me to go away. He's never told me to go away yet. There's hope for you. What are you waiting for? Get up. Can you say, can you say with me, I'm getting up. I'm getting up. Listen, Jesus is on your side. You might have come in here today resisting him. I want you to know he is on your side. You've been trying to run from him and you've run straight into him. And you're saying, who are you? And he's saying, I'm the one you're running from. <laughs> I don't get how he does that, but he does, amen? If I gave my composure, we'll be all set here. <laughs> uh, listen, by saying, I'm getting up, here's what you're saying. I'm saying, God, I'm, I'm done searching for who I am. You've already told me who I am. I'm done searching for a mission. You've already sent me on a mission. I don't need a better appointment. You've already appointed me to be your child. 
It's the authority of the word of God says, all who believe him and accepted Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. Are you getting up? Come on, tell me, are you getting up? Listen, some of us as children of God, we have let paralysis start to creep into our hearts. Listen, the enemy is sly and our culture is strong. We've got enemies coming against us, trying to convince us. You know, by the way some of us live, it seems to me like we think Jesus saves us so we can be a better savior to ourselves. Anybody follow that? Sometimes I think the way we approach this is we act as if the reason Jesus saves you is so that you can be a better savior to yourself. Don't fall for that lie. There's only one savior and his name is Jesus Christ. Christian, maybe you need to get up today. Maybe this is your get up appointment. God wants to shake off the self-pity. He wants to shake off the, the need to measure up, the need to accomplish something. Listen, you don't have to call, cause God to choose you. He already chose you. You don't need him to give you a mission. He's already sent you on a mission. You don't need a better appointment. He's already appointed you to be his child. Can we say amen? Can we say God is awesome? Awesome. Listen, get up. Come on, seriously, get up. I want to pray for you. <laughs> oh, anybody feel like praying right now? Hey Amen. Let's give a shout before we pray. Come on. I'm telling you, the fact that Jesus is the Savior is the best news ever. Absolutely. And we need to be excited about it. Man, it is, it is absolutely the game changer for every one of you and, every, and myself and the world. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you that you know how to set us up. And I don't know who's hearing this message today, online or here. But, but I wanna just say, Lord, give them the courage to get up today. Lord, in just a simplistic way, even as I'm praying, may they lift up a prayer like mine. I hate my life right now, but I love the fact that you came to find me today, Lord Jesus. And I'm getting up and I'm coming to you. I need you to be my savior. I encourage you in the crowd, however you need to pray that, you just do it, he's hearing you. But those of you who already know Jesus and you've let some paralysis begin to creep in, you've tried to start saving yourself again. Listen, you can let go of that today. The chains are broken. Nobody can chain you up. The chains have been broken in Jesus' name. So today we just rejoice in you, God. We say you are fully Savior. There is more to you than we know. We will never exhaust the wonder of your personality, Lord Jesus. There is no one else like you. No other king. No other Savior. I ask you, God. Would you fill the heart of your church with your word once again? God, would you fill us with your voice so that we can speak your word and declare there is no other Savior like the Lord Jesus in your strong name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together.